The following teaching is possible thanks to the friends and partners of Spirit and Truth Fellowship International. Well, God bless you. Jeff Tyler here. The title of this teaching is Live Joyfully in Every Circumstance. To live joyfully in every circumstance. And really what I would like to share with you today is an overview of the letter of Paul to the Philippians. So the the background here is that this summer I've been preparing to do a 10-week series on Philippians beginning in September this fall. And so I'd like to share with you today an overview of the letter to the Philippians, kind of the, the real theme and the heart of what it's all about, and invite you to consider how this may help you in your daily walk with the Lord, and also to encourage you, if you enjoy this, to consider joining us in our journey in Philippians this fall. Now, before we actually get to the letter of Philippians, it might be helpful to get the background behind the letter. And so in order to do that, we would actually go back to the book of Acts and in Acts chapter 16, because this is where Paul first brought Christ to the city of Philippi. So Paul was on his second missionary journey, and the second missionary journey was approximately 50 to 52 AD. So somewhere in that time frame, Paul was in Asia, and he was uh, headed to several different places, and it, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit forbade him, that God told him not to go into these different areas. And therefore, one night in Acts 16, verse 9, the Bible declares, and a vision appeared to Paul during the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and entreating him and saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. Verse 10 says, and when he saw the vision, immediately we sought to go over to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. That's fantastic. So Paul listened to the vision. He took heed to what sometimes is referred to as the Macedonian call, and so there they went. And actually, this was this first declaration of the gospel in Europe. This is in Southeast Europe, Macedonia. And so once they went uh, over the seas, they sailed over, they came to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. So Philippi was actually the first European city to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ by the Apostle Paul on the second missionary journey. And it says in verse 12 of Acts 16 that they went to Philippi, which is a leading city in that part of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and they stayed there for some days. And we know that Paul, first he witnessed to a woman we can read about in the book of Acts, and then they delivered a uh, certain servant girl from with a spirit of divination. However, a multitude rose up against Paul and his compatriots, 
And they actually gave them orders to be beaten with rods. And it says in verse 23, when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. So this was not what you'd call a great day in the, for the Apostle Paul and his friends in the sense that they were beaten with rods and they were thrown in jail and their feet were fastened with stocks. And you would think that Paul might have been discouraged at the end of that day. But the scriptures record to us in Acts 16 still, verse 25, it says, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And we know that the record, a great earthquake happened, and the, and the Philippian jailer was saved with all his family, and so on and so forth. We will read about this fall. But the exciting thing is, I think it shows us a glimpse into what we're going to see in Philippians, because here in the midst of tremendously uh, challenging and difficult circumstances, being beaten and thrown into prison, Paul's response along with Silas, was to pray and sing hymns to God. They were, they were uh, demonstrating living joyfully in spite of the circumstances or in, every, in all the circumstances surrounded to them. Now, it's interesting that he was thrown in jail here because when we fast forward now to the book of Philippians, uh, we know that actually Paul was in jail again, only this time it was a Roman jail. So by way of introduction in the book of Philippians, the author, of course, we believe the author of all of the scriptures is God, but the apostle Paul was the one who wrote as God and Jesus Christ um, showed him what to write. So his audience, when he's writing this letter to the Philippians, were obviously the believers in Philippi, which, as mentioned in Acts, was a prosperous Roman colony. Now, the date scholars believe that he wrote the epistle was around 61 AD. The reason they believe that is because he wrote the uh, letter from Rome while he was in prison in Rome, which was about that time. So you actually have about a 10-year gap from the time Paul was in Philippi to the time now he's in prison in Rome, writing back to the Philippians. And it's important to, to note that he was in prison writing it because, again, we're going to see the, the theme being living joyfully in every circumstance. Or stated differently, Paul was joy and rejoicing regardless of the circumstances that he found himself in. If we were to ask the question, what's the theme of Philippians? And there are major, there are wonderful major themes. But if we were to say the real theme, the key theme, the heart theme, is Paul writing to encourage the Christians at Philippi to live joyfully in every circumstance. Philippians is an outstanding letter as the New Testament letter of joy. In fact, the word joy in its various forms occurs some 16 times in the book of Philippians. Eugene Peterson, in his Bible translation, The Message, writes an introduction or an introduction to Philippians. And I'd like to read a couple sections 
that I thought might be of interest or just might be helpful to us to consider this theme of Ephesians. So here's Eugene Peterson. This is Paul's happiest letter, and the happiness is infectious. Before we've read a dozen lines, we begin to feel the joy ourselves. The dance of words and the exclamations of delight have a way of getting inside us. Here's another part of his introduction. Paul doesn't tell us that we can be happy or how to be happy. He simply and unmistakably is happy. None of his circumstances contribute to his joy. He wrote them from a jail cell. His work was under attack by competitors. And after 20 years or so of hard traveling in the service of Jesus, he was tired and would have welcomed some relief. But circumstances are incidental compared to the life of Jesus, the Messiah, that Paul experiences from the inside, end quote. I think that's wonderful, and I think that captures the heart. And I realize some of us have a background where we, we differentiate between joy being inside and happiness on the outside. I'm, I'm not sure Peterson has that same differentiation, but I hope you understand the point. Whether we use the word happy or whether we use joy, we're talking about something that's all over the book of Philippians and the great message to us that we read is this living joyfully in every circumstance, and we'll learn some keys as to how to do that. So what I'd like to do with that background in mind is to break down the letter of Philippians, and certainly there's numbers of ways to break it down. There are four chapters we could break it down that way, but a suggestion for consideration is to break Philippians down into seven different sections, and then to take a look at how joy and rejoicing is a significant part in each one of these sections. And I think in there, we'll learn some of the great keys and steps and truths that may help us live joyfully in every circumstance in our own lives. So if we're ready to begin, let's take your Bible. And if you're not already there, please turn to the book of Philippians. By the way, we're only going to be in Philippians today. So outside of having to move from chapter to chapter, if you find Philippians once, you should be good to go. Now, the first section in the book of Philippians is really a section about thanks. And this is very common for Paul in his letters. It's a, it's a uh, thanks, it's thanksgiving, and it's also prayer. By the way, one of the key um, themes in Philippians, if you will, is Paul. Is uh, the Philippians had had provided Paul uh, some money? They'd given some abundance to him. They had abundantly shared with him, and in one sense, Paul's writing a thank you note to his donors because they did this not just one time, but they did it more than one time. And the letter is full of thankfulness. And it actually begins with him thanking the believers. And it all, we'll see it actually ends the epistle in the same way. So the first theme we see is a the theme of thanks. And we could look at this section as uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. So what we're looking for is joy and rejoicing in each 
section of the scriptures. So in this first one, let's take a look at chapter 1 and in verse 3, where it says, I thank my God every time I remember you. And by the way, I'm reading from the Revised English Version today. So he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In every prayer of mine for you, I always pray with joy. So there's our first use. And he goes on to say why. He says, I always pray with joy because of your participation in the advancement of the good news from the first day until now. So what do we learn right off the bat after Paul says hi? He says, first of all, he's thanking God. Every time he thinks about these Philippian believers, he thanks God for them. And whenever he prays for them, he prays with joy. There's joy in his heart for the believers. That's a wonderful thing to consider, that when we pray and we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we pray with joy for them. And the reason that Paul is joyful here, again, is he says, because they're participating in the advancement of the good news from the first day until now. Remember, he had been in Philippi about 10 years earlier. So 10 years have gone by, and they're still faithful. They're still participating. They're still in the game, if you will. They're playing on the team. And and Paul was thankful for that, and he was joyful for that. Paul goes on to say in verse 6, I am convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you will continue to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, again, I think there's insight here around Paul's joy in praying for them. One of those insights is that where, where his, uh, Paul's focus was, he says, I'm convinced of this, was that God will faithful, that the one who began a good work in you, God who began that good work, will complete it. God will be faithful. He's true to his word, and he would be true to them. And it says he will continue to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I think it's helpful in having joy for us is to recognize that the God who saved us from the first day we were saved, from the first day we met the Lord, and that we knew we knew that we were saved, and we knew we had a Lord and Savior, and we began to follow Him, that we know that that same God who saved us, He will continue to be with us. He began a good work, and he will continue that good work all the way until the day of Christ Jesus. So we look forward to the day of Jesus Christ, and if he hasn't come back yet, and he hasn't as of this moment in this tape, if he comes back during the teaching, that'll be wonderful. But if not, then we know that God will continue to work, to do his good work in our lives all the way until the day of Jesus Christ. So, Section 1 in Philippians, thanks, he starts right off where his thanksgiving and his prayer is with joy. Let's look at the second section. So the second section in Philippians we could call Paul's imprisonment. So Paul's going to talk about his current circumstance with them. And this section is chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. And Paul's letting them know, hey, you know, I'm in jail. I've been imprisoned. And he goes on to talk about it actually in a uh, positive 
way that it's actually served to advance the good news. He goes on, he says in verse 15, he says, some to be sure are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, but some of goodwill. So the latter do it out of love, knowing I'm appointed for the defense of the good news, but others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not with pure motives, thinking to cause trouble for me in my imprisonment. So here's Paul, he's in prison, and and look what his response his response to this is in verse 18. He says, 118, what really matters? And then he gives us the answer. So what really matters? He says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayer and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will result in my deliverance. Isn't that beautiful? What really matters to Paul is that however Christ is preached, whether it's pretense or whether it's truth, the joy is that Christ is being proclaimed. That's where his heart and soul and life was. And he says, in that, in that Christ is being proclaimed, in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. His rejoicing is that Christ is being proclaimed. I think that's just tremendous. Verse 20 goes on to say, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but with all boldness, now as always, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul is saying here, says, you know what? I may be imprisoned, but you know the most important thing? Christ is being preached either way. And he says his hope was that he wouldn't be put to shame. His hope is that Christ would be magnified in his body. His hope is that he would be delivered out of prison. But he says, you know what? Either way, if I live, that's Christ. Christ is going to be proclaimed and magnified in my body. Even if I don't live, if I die, there's still gain because Christ will be advanced. And he talks about it in that section. Verse 22, he goes on and says, but if I continue to live in the flesh, then this will be fruitful work for me. Yet what I would prefer, I do not know. Now I'm hard-pressed between the two, having the intense desire for the return and to be with Christ, which is far better. So, you know, if I live, Christ is going to be proclaimed and gained. If I die, there's still going to be game in the proclamation of Christ. You guys, you know what I'd really rather opt for? The rapture. I'd rather opt for his return. I'd like to just be with him. That's what I'd really like to be. He said, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Verse 25, and convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So Paul's desire actually was to be with Christ, but until Christ returns, then as long as we're here and we're here on earth, what we want is for Christ to be magnified in our lives. And Paul's focus was on what would be in the best interest for the Philippians believers, for their progress and their joy in the faith. So section two dealt with Paul's imprisonment, and here we see Paul 
joy and rejoicing, as verse 18 says. Okay, let's look at section three. Section three is, we could we could call this section Jesus' example, because Paul's going to pivot now and talk about the example of Jesus Christ. And this section, actually, it begins in chapter 1, verse 27, and it goes all the way to chapter 2 and in verse 18. So if we take a look at chapter 2, and we pick up in chapter 2 and we look at verse 1, it says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from love, if any fellowship based on the Spirit, if any compassion or mercy, fulfill my what? Joy. Fulfill my joy by having the same mindset, having the same love, being together of one soul, of one mind. Okay, so what is he saying? He's now encouraging the Philippians to unity and to humility, which are actually both great uh, other themes of Philippians. But the way he's doing it is he's saying, look, if there's any encouragement in Christ, have you ever been encouraged since the day you met the Lord Jesus Christ, since the day you were saved and knew him as your personal Lord? Has he encouraged you? Has there been any encouragement? Has there been any comfort? Has he ever comforted you with love? Has there ever been fellowship based on the Spirit? Have you ever felt a fellowship or compassion or mercy from the Lord or from your brothers and sisters or from someone who first proclaimed the gospel to you? From any of these things, he's asking if there's any of that. If you can draw inside and remember any of that during our walk, our journey, our salvation journey with the Lord, he says, if that exists, then verse 2, fulfill my joy. And how do we fulfill his joy? By having the same mindset, mindset, the to, to hold of an opinion, a mindset, hold a point of view, have the same regard. And he, he, he really emphasizes this by saying, having the same mindset, having the same love, being together of one soul and of one mind. This seems to be really important to Paul, is that we have this mindset that the believers have unity. Now, he hasn't told us yet what that unity revolves around, but he's about to in verses 3 and 4. So let's read on to verse 3 of chapter 2. This is the mindset, which is do nothing out of selfish ambition or out of empty conceit, but in humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Verse 4, each of you should look not only on his own interests, but also for the interests of each other. So what is he saying? He's, he, well, he's saying, don't do things out of selfish ambition. Remember, we read in verse in chapter one, there were people preaching Christ out of selfish ambition uh, and empty conceit. But Paul's encouragement is 
is do things in humility, but considering one another more important than yourselves. And, and to expand on that, each of you should look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of each other. Now, these verses are tremendous because these verses are talking about how we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ, the interests of each other. Whose interests? Well, the interests of the believers. He's speaking to the Christian believers in Philippi, and he's saying to them not to look out for their own interests, but also for the interests of each other, looking out for the best interest or the interests of others. I think we've heard this, some of us heard this years ago as God first, others second, and we're willing to be third. Paul goes on to give a tremendous example of Jesus Christ and the example of Jesus, who was one who didn't put his own interests ahead of others, but actually put the interests of others, others being who? Us, us, the world, putting the interests of the world, he gave his life. And the example, it's a tremendous section we won't deal with today, but we will this fall, that says, look, have the same mindset of Christ, who even though he had every right as the Son of God to be served, he actually took upon himself the form of a servant. He was found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself the way a man would, a servant would, and he became obedient obedient to death, even death on a cross. His example of putting his own life, basically giving his life in the best interests of others is a tremendous example for us that Paul uses in this section here. Once he does that, Paul reminds us in verse 13, he says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you both to want to do and to do his good pleasure. It's a tremendous section. Again, we're, we'll, we won't focus on it today, but we will this fall. But let's look at verse 17, because we're looking at how joy comes into each section. In verse 17 of chapter 2, he says, Indeed, even if I pour myself out as a drink offering, and this is Paul now. Paul is saying, if I pour myself out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service coming from your trust, I will rejoice and rejoice together with you all. And in the same way, you also must rejoice and rejoice together with me. Wow. So, Paul gives the example of the Lord Jesus Christ about putting others' interests ahead of their own. He got, then he says about he says about himself, even if I pour myself out as a drink offering. In other words, even if he gave up his life, if Paul died, if he was if he didn't make it out of prison alive, even if that happened and he was poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service from your trust, he says, even if that's the case, if I don't get out of jail. I will rejoice and rejoice together with you all. And he says, by the way, in the same way, 
you should do the same thing. You must rejoice and you must rejoice together. Joy is something we not only do alone, we do it together. We rejoice together. And our rejoicing is in the Lord and what he's done and the opportunity that we have to love him and grow in relationship and to serve with him. Okay, so that's our section three on the example of Jesus Christ. The next section of Philippians, which is found in the rest of chapter two, is we look at the example of two other wonderful believers. One is Timothy, and the other is Epaphroditus. So this section, we could call this the Timothy and the Epaphroditus example. We're looking at their example. And this section would be from chapter 2, verse 19, to the end of the chapter, which is verse 30. So let's take a look here at, well, let's look at verse 19. Chapter 2, 19 says, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too will be cheered up when I learn how you're doing. So he wanted to send Timothy to the Philippians. Listen to why. He says, For I have no one like-minded who will genuinely care for your interests, for they are all seeking their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. So, We have just been talking about the mindset of Jesus Christ, right? We've been talking about each of us should look out for the, not for his own interests, but for the interests of other believers. And now Paul is saying, hey, I'm going to send Timothy. Why? Because Timothy is a great example because many people are, they're not like-minded. They're not caring for your interests. They're seeking their own. But Timothy is one who is like-minded. He does, he's like-minded with Christ. He has the interest of Jesus Christ. He's doing what the Lord has called him to do, and he's serving the Philippian believers, which is just wonderful. So that's Timothy. So he talks about how he's going to send Timothy, and it's wonderful, the example in there. The next example in chapter 2 is Epaphrodites. Let's look at verse 25. It says, Meanwhile, I consider it necessary to send Epaphroditus to you, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and servant to me in my need. This is a great belief. He's a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, and a servant in my need. Verse 26, since he has been longing for you all and was very troubled because you heard that he was sick. What we learn when we study the book of Philippians is that it was Epaphroditus who actually brought the gift, the the, uh, offering to Paul from the Philippians. And, And then apparently Epaphroditus had gotten sick, and they'd heard about it, and they were very troubled about it. And verse 27 says, For indeed he was sick, close to death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. So something happened to Epaphroditus. He got very sick. He got sick. He almost died. But the record is God had mercy on him. What a wonderful thing that was for Epaphroditus, also for Paul, because 
Uh, he was a wonderful brother, a faithful brother, fellow worker, all of those things. And we do. We have sorrow when our brothers and sisters in Christ, when they die, when they have trouble, when they grieve and all of that. And in this case, God had mercy. And so Paul says in verse 28, therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you can rejoice. There's our word. You can rejoice, and so that I will be less anxious about you. This is wonderful, because the the Philippians loved and cared for Epaphroditus. They were concerned about him. Paul says, look, he's doing better, and I'm going to send him to you. I'm eager to send him. Paul was willing to give him up for the Philippians' sake, if you will, so that when they saw him, when the Philippians saw him, they could rejoice. It's the rejoicing of seeing a brother or sister in Christ again. And Paul also said, and I'll be less anxious about you. So if Aphrodite could go, cheer you guys up and you know, be excited and then come back and let me know how you guys are doing also. And then he says in verse 29, welcome him as a brother in the Lord with all joy. There's our word again. Welcome him with joy and hold such people in high regard because for the work of Christ, he came near to death, risking his life in order to complete that which was lacking in your service to me. So this section again, this is the, the section where, where Paul is sharing the example of Timothy and the example of Epaphroditus. And again, the exhortation is rejoice. When you see Epaphroditus, I want you to rejoice. I want you to welcome him as a brother with all joy. It spills out in this epistle. Okay, so that's our that was section four. So let's look section five. Section five, we could label this as Paul's example. So we've dealt with Jesus' example, then Timothy and Epaphroditus' example. Now we look at Paul's example himself. And this is the section found we would begin in chapter 3, verse 1. And this actually goes all the way to chapter 4, verse 1. So let's take a look at Philippians chapter 3 in Paul's example. And let's see if we find this joy anywhere in here. Well... This is simple because we don't have to look past verse 1. Look at verse 1 as he opens this section about his own example. He says, furthermore, my brothers. So furthermore means, you know, in addition to the example of Jesus, the example of Timothy, the example of Epaphroditus. He says, furthermore, my brothers and sisters, what? Rejoice in who? The Lord. This is the key. This is what Philippians is telling us. This is what God is telling us through this epistle of joy. It's to rejoice in the Lord. And in the Lord is where our rejoicing is. We're going to see this quite a bit in these next several sections of the book of Philippians, that where does rejoicing come from? It comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from circumstances or difficulties or troubles that may be around us. It comes from the Lord who is in us and with us always, always. So here's the opener of this section, rejoice in the Lord. 
Now, it's a tremendous section, and again, we don't have time in this teaching to go into all the detail of it, but the, but the essence of this, you know that Paul talks about his own background and his own not having confidence in the flesh, but in verse 7, he goes on to say, but whatever things were gained to me, those I have considered loss for the sake of Christ. But even more than that, I consider all things to be lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things and consider them dung in order to gain Christ. This is the chewy caramel center for Paul and his example. And that is that whatever were gained to him, whatever accolades that he had, and he had a lot, he had a lot of accolades. He had a lot that he could have been confident in the flesh, but he said he put that all aside. He considered it lost for the sake of Christ. He's, he went on to say, I consider all things to be lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is not just about knowing about Christ the Lord, where many people know about Christ. You know, do you know about Christ? Yes, I know about Christ. This is knowing Christ, my Lord. This is knowing him personally. This is knowing him experientially. It's knowing Christ. And we will see this is the chewy caramel center of the joy and rejoicing of Paul's life is knowing Christ, his Lord. It's really fantastic. Look at verse 10. In the Revised English Version, verse 10 says, My goal is to know him. Wow, there's a goal of a lifetime. And again, it's not to know about him. It's to know him, have a relationship with him, know him personally, experience him, build a relationship to follow him, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, verse 10, he says, My goal is to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. And so in some way, I will arrive at the resurrection out from among the dead. This is the essence of Paul's joy and where it comes from. It's knowing him. It's experiencing the power of his resurrection. It's being willing to share in all of his sufferings. You know, Jesus Christ died even on the cross. And Paul says, look, even if I don't get out of this jail cell, if I don't make it out of prison, then you know what? I know that one way or another, I'm going to arrive at the resurrection out from among the dead. Paul's life and heart was focused on the day of Jesus Christ, the wonderful day and all that would happen in the day of Jesus Christ and the millennial kingdom and the rewards and everything that the Bible talks about. This was burning in Paul's heart and life as it was to know him, to know his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our goal 
is to know him, to build such a relationship with him that as long as we have breath, we are deeply rejoicing in union and in relationship with him. And we know that one day, the day of Jesus Christ will come. We will see our Lord face to face. We will be with our Lord Jesus Christ forever. And it's such a joy to be able to follow him. This is the essence of this section and Paul's example. And just um, remember that this section ends actually in chapter 4 and verse 1. So if, if we were making the chapter headings today, then I believe many of scholars believe that chapter 4, verse 1 is really the ending of this section, basically from chapter 3, 1 to 4, 1. So let's look at chapter 4, verse 1. The bookend. Remember, chapter 3 1 said, finally, uh, furthermore, rejoice in the Lord. Look at this, the bookend side, which is chapter 4, verse 1 says, So then, my brothers and sisters, so then what? Everything that he talked about in chapter 3 about knowing Christ and his goal and all of those things, he says, So then, my brothers and sisters, my beloved and those I longed for, my joy and crown. Again, here's its joy. Who was his joy? They were his joy. And what his encouragement to them was, stand fast in the Lord in this way, my beloved. He encouraged them to stand fast the way he encouraged them in chapter 3. And again, there's a lot more in that chapter that we would look at in another time and in another teaching. Okay, so we've covered Paul's example. So let's look at the next section. There's really two more sections. And so the next section, section six, if you're counting these, this would be, we could call this, we could title this Final Exhortations. And this section begins in chapter four, verse two, and it goes through verse nine. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 9, here's a final exhortation. Let's take a look and see what we can find about joy and rejoicing in this section. By the way, as God often does, he saves in certain ways, he saves the best for last, because in these last two sections, this, this joy and rejoicing just explodes from my perspective perspective in terms of what we can learn and what we can apply in our own lives to bring that joy, to live joyfully every day in every circumstance. So in this section, let's pick up in verse 4. Verse 4 says, wow, look, rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. I think it was the last section that we said, he said, rejoice in the Lord. Now he says, rejoice in the Lord always. That sounds like live joyfully in every circumstance, doesn't it? Rejoice in the Lord. And he not only makes such a point of it, he repeats it. He says, again, I'll say it. Rejoice. That Well, he's been saying it all through the letter. But just in case someone has missed the point in the letter, now at this, in these final exhortations, he begins with this, rejoice in the Lord always. 
And again, I will say it, rejoice. Okay, we're about to get one of two tremendous keys that will help us make this a part of our lives. All right, verse 5 says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petitions with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And as a result, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your thoughts since you are in union with Christ Jesus. This is beautiful. This is, this is one of the two great, great nuggets in Philippians regarding this joy and rejoicing. And in verse 6, we read again, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry. Other versions say, use the word worry, to worry or be anxious. You know, it's very difficult, isn't it? When we're consumed with worry and anxiety, it's difficult to have joy and rejoicing. In other words, those two often don't go hand in hand. And yet, when we're in the midst of very trying circumstances and difficult times and troubles, the natural tendency is to be anxious or to get anxious or to worry about it. Certainly, Paul being in a jail cell, wondering whether he was going to live or die, wondering whether he was going to ever see the light of day again, if you will, and so many other things like that. The temptation to be anxious must have been enormous. And yet he says here, don't be anxious about anything. And you go, how can you do that? And the answer is prayer. This is one of the wonderful, wonderful keys for us. In everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Everything that is a concern, every time there's an anxious thought or an anxious concern or worry, that is an opportunity to let a request be made known to God. And God told us earlier in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will perform it. He will complete it all the way till the day of Jesus Christ. God is with you. God was with Paul, and he will be with us. And therefore, the trials of life, the worries and concerns of life, the exhortation is, let those requests be made known unto God by prayer, by petition, by thanksgiving, but let it be made known to God. And as a result, the promise is, the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your thoughts. And this last phrase here in the REV is, since you are in union with Christ Jesus. That's the essence of it. That's the essence in union with Christ you know, I am the vine, you are the branches, wherever that goes. That joy is in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But the joy of the Lord is being in union with him, knowing that we are in union. It is in him that we are strong. In Christ Jesus, we are strong. Paul says, knowing him 
was his life's goal, to experientially know him, to have a relationship with him. Remember, Jesus Christ knows what it means to be tempted. He knows about difficult times. He knows about trying circumstances, and he is in union. We can be in union with him, and he is right there with us, and we can make our request known to God because we are in union with Christ Jesus, and the promise is the peace of God to guard our hearts and our thoughts since we are in union with him. It's a tremendous truth. Now, it's a wonderful rest of the section. Again, I think for our teaching today, we'll go to the final section in the book of Philippians. And this final section, really, we could call it, Paul is back, he's thanking the Philippians for the gift again. Another way we could look at this section, though, another title that I, I put to it would be this section we could call Contempt whatever the circumstances, content, whatever the circumstances. And this is chapter 4, beginning in verse 10 to the end of the epistle, which is verse 23. I think this really gets to the heart and the conclusion of everything that God and Paul have been trying and encouraging the believers in Philippians and by application to uh, you and I as Christians. And I think he brings it all home in this last section. Let's pick up the section in verse 10. Verse 10 says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. So we have heard in this epistle, rejoice in the Lord. We read earlier in chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And now here, Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Well, what is he rejoicing greatly at? Well, we read that now at last your concern for me has blossomed anew. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked the opportunity to show it. So what's this talking about? Again, this is talking about the gift. The Philippian believers, they brought him a gift. They brought it through the hands of Epaphroditus. So now he is actually sending, he's actually going to send Epaphroditus back He's actually going to send him with the letter to the Philippians. So here he is saying, uh, your concern has blossomed for me anew. They were able to give to him again. And it wasn't the first time that they had done it. They'd actually done, they had given to him a number of times before the letter will tell us. But he really gets to the meat of it here in verse 11, where he says, I am not saying this because I am in need. So Paul received the gift. He received this gift, but he says, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying this because I am in need. Now, did Paul need some things? I imagine that that he did. And he actually goes on to say, your gift was, you know, was just abundant and it's just wonderful and all those things that'll tell us later. But here, look at the heart here. He's saying, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned in whatever circumstances I am in to be content. Wow. Well, where did Paul learn that? Well, 
I imagined he learned it with over 20 years of being battle-hardened in the proclamation of the gospel and the life that Paul lived. I imagine he learned it when he was arrested in Jerusalem and now has spent two years in jail cells, you know, from Caesarea jail cell, the harrowing experience of the shipwreck in the boat, now being in jail in Rome. I mean, let's face it. When we look at the circumstances of Paul's life, he had been through and was still going through some very, very difficult, challenging times. And it's remarkable to me that in the midst of that, he's writing these prison epistles, if you will, like Philippians, which is all about joy. And so he says here, and I imagine he meant this with every ounce of his being. He says, I have learned in whatever circumstances I'm in to be content. He goes on to explain in verse 12 or to expound. He says, verse 12, I know what it is to have little, and I also know what it is to have abundance. In any and every situation, I have learned the secret to being content, whether filled or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. Wow. So Paul is, again, he's describing to the Philippians, and, and we, learn, we learn from what he's writing. He says, I know what it is to have little. I imagine there were many, many times Paul had very, very little and he said, hey, by the way, I know what it is to have an abundance also. Paul had lived a full life and knew all sides of it. And he says, in, in any and every situation, I've learned the secret to being content. What is the secret? And he says, whether filled or hungry. Look, whether I'm full, I'm going to a five-star restaurant, or I've got sardines to eat or whatever, you know, cat food. I got nothing to eat. I got ramen noodles. I'm hungry. Or whether in abundance, if I have a lot, or if I don't have anything, those can't be it. He says there is a secret to being content. I remember I was teaching years and years ago. There was always one of my favorite. It was a teaching called The Secret to Radiant Living. And the essence of that secret to radiant living was if you look within, you're miserable. If you look at others, you get distracted. But the secret to radiant living is to look unto him. That's the secret. And I believe here the same truth Paul is revealing is, look, regardless of the circumstances, he's learned the secret of being content. And that secret is expressed in chapter 4, verse 13. Let's read it. And again, I'm reading it in the REV. I have strength for all situations in union with him who empowers me. That's the secret. That's the key. Paul says, I have strength for all situations. I know that, that for many of us, we've learned this. The uh, King James Version is, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And we, it's one of the most popular verses to memorize and, and plaster it all over things. But I think it's bigger than that. It's more than that. Or the essence of it is, as the Revised English Version says, I have strength 
for all situations. Paul was strengthened. It wasn't that he could do everything. If he could do everything, he'd bust out of jail. He'd get out of that city. He'd go on. He'd have a nice meal. All these things. Those things weren't happening. His circumstances, he had a lot of difficult and troubling circumstances. So that's not the answer. The answer is I have strength Where does a person's strength come from? And it comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I have strength for all situations in union with him who empowers me. That's the key to radiant living. That's the key to joy and rejoicing always is strength for all situations. It's by its strength. It's in union with him, in him who Christ in union with is, is in relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the one who makes us strong. He is the one who gives us strength. He is the one who encourages us no matter what the situations. And boy, did he do that for Paul over and over again and for others, and he'll do the same for us. So he says, Paul had strength for all situations in relationship and in union with him who empowers me, which is Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the significant truth. And I think this is the application for us in our lives. I think this wonderful verse, chapter 4, verse 13, at the close of the closing section of this epistle, is our key to being content whatever the circumstances. So this verse is, this is not a declaration of arrogance and how we can do all things. This is a declaration of how Christians are going to get through life in spite of our troubles, which is by being in union with Christ. This is not a call to arrogance. It's not a call to our own ability. Rather, it's a call to humility and the realization that because we are in union with Christ and being empowered by Christ, we can deal with life's situations no matter how difficult they may be. In conclusion, that we can live joyfully in every circumstance. God bless you.